This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Dave Prentice, Sam Carroll and Adam Jones to chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park and look ahead to Sunday's fixture mm. with Spurs. I mean, a jam-packed edition of the podcast today. We're looking back at the win over Watford. Uh, we'll talk about the cup draw, which has pitted the Blues at home to Leicester in the next round. Uh, Moise Keane, a lot of chat about the young Italian striker this week, and we will go in depth and ask the panel for their thoughts on his best position and where he's up to in his so far very short Everton career. Look ahead to Spurs, a team, of course, who have not won an away game since March in the Premier League. And we will, at the end, have a discussion about the mini derby, which takes a place at two o'clock on Saturday Um up in Kirby. Um, Prano, but we'll start with Watford. Um, the proverbial game of two halves in many ways, wasn't it? Oh, what, yeah. what were your feelings coming away from uh, Goodison? Coming away, a sense of relief, um, job done, which wasn't the case at half-time when it was just a sense of numbing boredom, really. It was like such a, such a poor first half. But always like to try and, you know, be glass half full and look at the positives. Um, Marco Silva made changes. He made changes that were effective. Uh, against, I have to say, a fairly you know ordinary looking uh, Watford side at the bottom of the league for a reason. They made was it eight changes from the team that had played the previous weekend, so we should be looking to score a reasonably comfortable victory, which we did in the end. There was just like a sense of almost like resignation amongst the supporters uh, for a long time. It was very quiet in the first half and like a couple of boos at half time, and the second half, even when Everton were winning one nil. You could just sense this, like, you know, quietness around the ground where it's like, you know, come on, you know, entertain us, excite us. And eventually, you know, got the job done. So that that was what it was about. It was about getting into the hat for the next round. Everton did. Hopefully, the confidence gleaned from that can, you know, generate into a little bit of momentum for the Premier League games that you know, we've got between now and then. But I can't get too excited about it. I mean, tr- totally honest. You know, it was, a, it was a reasonably effective performance in parts, but it was job done just about. Adam, uh but isn't that what cup games are all about? You don't lift silverware with performances. You lift silverware by getting results. Well, that's it. At the end of the day, uh, they did the only thing that mattered, which was getting through to the next round. And, you know, as Prano said there, Watford didn't really have anything about them. Uh, I think they only had one shot on target all game. And, mm. you know, that was it straight at Jordan Pickford, really. I think it was still a good save. But, you know, you've still got to beat what's in front of you. And I think in the first half, at least, you know, it was very clear what their game plan was. It was trying sit back in it Everton on the counter. You know, we've seen so many times in the past, like even recently with Sheffield United, I think they had a very similar game plan and used it very effectively against Everton. So, you know, at half-time especially, you were thinking, is it going to be one of those days again? But as Preno said, fair play to Silver. He made made the big change at half-time, which was bringing on Theo Walcott. And I think his introduction, just adding that, Little bit of nouse and a bit of pace out on the on the air on the flank just opened up so much more space for the likes of Iwobi uh, to to be able to work and that that really was the game changer. But you know, say we we just scraped through. Would like that game could have finished five nil in the end. You know, we had, we had the bar twice. Had one cleared off the line. Mm-hmm. Michael Keane should have done better with a header. So you know, at the end of the day, if that had finished four or five nil, then yeah. you'd have thought, thought, oh yeah, Everton have took all their chances there, but. You know, as as Prano said, it's not exactly a performance that's going to excite you, but into the next round, 
into the quarterfinal, which is a, <laughs> quite a rare thing for Everton in this it competition. Well, so, so that horrible stat, was it? It's only three times in like the last 20 years or 30, something. 30, 30 yeah. years exactly that we've got 32. past the fourth round. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, we have achievement. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, Sam, the atmosphere certainly in the first half was was subdued and, and flat. Uh, you, would you think that that is a, a, a symptomatic of the fact that we were expected to comfortably swat aside the team who are currently bottom of the league and a team that had made eight changes uh, so to therefore weaken a team that's that's bottom of the league? Yeah, it's got to be, hasn't it? I think that not that the, the performance at Brighton was the worst Everton performance we've seen this season, far from it. It's probably a performance that overall deserved to win, but I think it almost felt like you know, the, the the players kind of still owed a little bit to, to the fans to, to, to go at this weakened bottom of the league Watford team. And I think, you know, it was just a, a, a feeling of surprise, really, wasn't it? That we weren't one, two or three up. But, you know, we, we, we got through it in the end and, and we avoided that nightmare of of going to penalties or even worse, you know, them them nicking a goal on the on the break. Because if, if the atmosphere was a little bit edgy at half-time, then... God, God knows what it would have been like if, if we'd have got knocked out. So, you know, I think it was, as you said, job done. But, yeah, a little, would have been nice to kind of play a little bit more kind of free-flowing football. Would have been nice to see a little bit more of, of Moise Keane. You know, obviously that was a something after the game. And I think a lot of fans kind of sympathise with, with Keane. That he got hauled off after playing an unfamiliar position. But then at the same time, you know, Walcott did undeniably change the game. So... Just a, a very strange and spooky night for for Halloween, <laughs> wasn't it? First hey. Halloween reference. Oh, oh, she yeah. warned in there. Keep it on. Sam, Keep you're, it a on day, you're a day late. <laughs> so, you know, into the hat and job done, but I think it just makes the the Spurs game even even more important because Will there what, be fireworks on something. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you whatever you say about Tottenham, they, they, they got to a Champions League final a, a few months back and team that has been quite consistently challenging for the for the Premier League title and you know their their away form it, it isn't great but you know it's still not a game you'll be relishing when when you're in the overall form that Everton has so it's it's just nice to be in the in the hat and I just think once you get to this stage of the league up anything can happen can't it so exciting times um Said we'll talk about the draw. Prenner, what, what were your thoughts when uh, when Leicester at home was picked up? Well, I was sat listening to it on the very, very strange experiment of uh, hosting it live on the Zoe Ball Show once Jane McDonald had finally <laughs> shut up. Um, and, I'm not a fan of Jane. Uh, I don't mind Jane McDonald, but I just wants to hear the draw. Um, <laughs> quarter to nine, we were told, and it just seemed to be going on a lot longer. I thought they were going to have to go past the nine o'clock news at one stage. <laughs> I was getting worried because, uh, you know, as soon as Colchester and Oxford have gone, <laughs> we both desperately wanted we thought oh dear you know so you know what's it going to be next and you know after that clearly you want to avoid Manchester City I wouldn't have minded a derby match I said this prior to the draw uh, because you know given the fixture congestion which they're making a big deal about uh, they would have had to have played a similar lineup to the lineup that you know they played against Arsenal and if Everton are ever going to beat this you know this bogey against Liverpool you know surely we've got a better opportunity of doing it against a team you know so half full of kids has, has been suggested actually that that game could actually even be played when the first leg of the semi-final yeah early, early January I think the first week in January they're talking about now is the mm. pos- you know, first possible so I wouldn't have minded that so much as it was Leicester 
in their current run of form, you don't really want to be facing. You certainly don't want to be facing them in the Midlands. Uh, so the best we could have hoped for when those two, you know, balls were left in the uh, the hat is that you know we faced them at Goodison. Uh, fair play to Everton for their pricing structure for that fixture already announced, already cheap because obviously it's only two weeks before Christmas. You know, people money are going to be tight. Mm. So you know, I'm expecting a really big gate for that one. Should be a good atmosphere, and. It, it's tough, but then again, if you're going to get to a semi-final of a cup competition, you've got to expect a tough tie somewhere along the way. Haven't really had one yet, you know, so, you know, OK, get out there and win it. Uh, hopefully Leicester's form will have dipped a little by them. They're absolutely flying at the moment, but, you know, can they maintain that throughout December? Who knows? Uh, could have been tougher, but it's it's winnable, certainly. Well, so. If anything, at the moment, in, in a weird way, I think Leicester probably the strongest team left in the competition in terms of what the what they're going to field, aren't they? Because they're going to think they've yeah. also got a, a decent chance of of lifting silverware. You know, you know that City and Liverpool probably aren't going to play their strongest teams because, as as Phil mentioned, both of them are have got seemingly like 150 fixtures in in December yeah. and January, and they've got them to navigate. Which, regardless of what everyone what anyone says, is the Carabao Cup is going to be the least important priority on their list, and then. Man United just aren't anything special, are they? I wouldn't be scared going two legs with Man United in a in a semi final because you know if you got through the old traffic game and got them back to Goodison, I think we'd we'd smash them if we, if we turned up. So <laughs> the the Leicester game now really is. I love is, the confidence is, of youth. Yeah, <laughs> the Leicester game now has suddenly became a, a pretty big game, and I think it'll ultimately be a barometer of of where this side are. I know it's still what six weeks away, uh, and there's plenty of football to be played. Before that, and, and with this current Everton team, you, you haven't got a clue what's what's going to happen. And obviously, it's another tough fixture in that already tough month. But you know, you, you beat Leicester. And I just think the, the, the semi-final games. You're probably not going to uh, going to play a team that is going to be much. You know, I know City City's reserve team would, would will still give us a game and stuff. But you, you're definitely going to have a, a big big chance. And I just think we've been quite unlucky in other years when we've got to the later rounds of, of competitions in in terms of the draw and. And this year, it just seems like it, it might be a little bit favourable for us. So it's, it's took on such a such a massive kind of significance. And then when you add to that as well, it's also the Rebecca Vardy and Colleen Rooney <laughs> derby. That's <laughs> even more to it. So what a night it's going to be at Goodison. Ad, any, any, any thoughts? I know we're not getting to, well, we're attempting to not get too ahead of ourselves, yeah. but um, it's at Goodison, as, uh, you mm-hmm. know, and I think that's, for me, that was the significant thing. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't have fancied it if it was another trip to the King Power. Mm. Like Obviously, we travel to the King Power in the league on the 1st of December as well. Yes. That's going to be a tough game in itself, obviously, as the lads have said, with the kind of form that Leicester are in. Uh, hopefully, they hit a, a bit of a rough patch <laughs> over that time uh, to make things a little bit easier on ourselves. But, you know, like... I think with anybody coming to Goodison Park these days, like you've got to you've got to fancy yourself because with our away form being so bad, it just puts so much pressure on our home form now. And you know, you look at the last few months in our home form. You know, apart from that, those couple of blips against Man City and Sheffield United, we've had some absolutely phenomenal home form. Like you, you can't really deny it. We've beat Arsenal, Chelsea, Man United. We cakewalked West Ham fairly recently Stop as well. Liverpool winning the league. Stop Liverpool winning the league as well, which was obviously a massive achievement. <laughs> but so you know, you've got you've got to say that Everton's home form is is really crucial. And I've, I've been saying this even in the build up to the Spurs game this weekend as well. You can't you can't feel daunted by anybody coming to Goodison right now. Like you've got to try and make whoever's stood next to you in the tunnel feel like the underdog. And I think you know, 
hopefully we can keep this run of home form going so that when Leicester do visit us mid-December, you know, midweek game under the lights at Goodison, yeah. they're not going to fancy it. If if Everton are in a decent run of home form, you know, the crowd are going to be well up for it, you know, to cup quarter final. Leicester aren't going to fancy that. So yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely made up it's at Goodison. But, you know, it's, it, it is still going to be a tough game. You know, as the lads have said, Leicester are the team who will have sights on winning this competition, so yeah, just, course, like, yeah. just like Everton have. So, yeah, it'll be a definitely tough game, but fingers crossed at the Goodison Park crowd will be able to see us through. No, I, I, I totally agree. I think that as much as we might be looking at Leicester thinking, crikey, they're in great form, they look upwardly mobile, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Brendan Rodgers is not soft and he'll go, well, it's at Goodison, we know what Everton are like. For all the poor record away from home, Goodison's, want a better phrase, a fortress for them, isn't it? Mm, so, yeah. Um, yeah that Leicester is... must be one of the last teams to, to beat us at Goodison, mustn't it? In terms of like Sheffield United... City and then Leicester was on New Year's Day, wasn't it? We didn't lose many games. City again. Yeah. City again. Yeah, yeah. And Wolves. Oh, there we go. The list list (laughs) grows. Loads of doors. Right, I'll I'll ask um, you chaps the same question I asked Michael Silver this afternoon at the press conference and you can read his response uh, on the website on Saturday morning in the paper on Sunday. Right now, Preno, what is Moise Keane's best position? On the substitute's bench. Oh, and I bet you never replied. Wow. I, bet, I, I bet you never replied with that. Did no, he did not. Um, no, he's just not ready. I mean, you know, he's a raw young kid with plenty of potential, but he's not ready to be let loose from the stars of Premier League games at the moment. I don't think he's disciplined enough. He certainly doesn't press or, you know, win possession, you know, high enough, up the pitch enough. That was the difference when Theo Walcott came on. Uh, a call I'd actually, you know, called for at half time. You know, we were talking about what changes you'd make. I said, I bring Walcott on, you know, for Keane. Um, we just need more pace, more penetration, and more ability to press their back four, stop them looking so so comfortable switching, you know, play across the other back four. Keane will learn that in time. Uh, I don't think he's there quite yet. You know, he, he's a young man with a little bit of pace, a little bit of physicality about him, but the discipline and you know the tactical side of uh, you know sort of playing in, in the front three in the Premier League, he hasn't quite got yet. So until that happens, I, I would leave him on the subs bench. I don't think it matters whether you're talking about playing him down the centre or playing him on, you know down the right. I think he's got to learn you know sort of how to do the defensive part of his game as effectively as he does the attacking part of his game before Marco Silva will let him loose on it. Sam, same question to you. It's hard, it's hard to disagree, isn't it? We're, we're Preno and. and Cool. All right, then for, for the, for, in, in terms of his best position, it's, it's if, if he was to come on the pitch from the start or off the bench, yeah, it's, where gotta, would... it's probably going to going to be up front, isn't it? That seemed to be where the club seemingly bought him, bought him for. You know, it was the what people were saying and, and where he first kind of started appearing, and it kind of seemed like he got put out wide against Watford, you know, just to kind of get him get him into the same team as um, I don't know why it was Dominic Calvert Lewin up front, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. In the same team as as Calvert Lewin, but I, I definitely think there's the attributes there of a of a good striker. I think when we went to Lincoln, he he showed he showed moments and he, he showed he showed glimpses in in every performance, hasn't he? But just just hasn't done it over a, a proper pace. But he hasn't had the minutes either. So you know, I think Marco probably obviously sees more of him in training, and and, and Moise probably has his his own idea of of where he wants to play. But I've got no doubts that. With a little bit of polish, and he's going to be a, a real Premier League striker who's hard to handle because he is fast and he is strong. And and, and the big one is he's he's nineteen. And I think mm. money nowadays kind of morphs things in, in, into something else. The 
you know, you, everything goes out the window that he probably doesn't really know the language and he's you know, only a kid and, and stuff like that. So with a little bit more time and, you know, I know a few rival fans kind of scoffed when he said that he was aiming for seven goals this season. But, you know, now I think even if he can just get four or five and get himself off the mark and get himself up to speed, I think that would be a, a solid first season because he's definitely going to be someone now it looks like we're going to see more of the the, the, sec, the second half of the season, the beginning of next year and even into next season. And, you know, people might laugh and say, well, that's what you, you know, should you spend over 30 million on someone if you're not going to get that? But even look at Mina this season, you know, there was times last season when it was really worrying with him and, now he's he's up to speed and and probably learning a bit more of the language and the the way things work in the Premier League. So yeah, I'll, I'll go centre forward. Add any any difference of opinion right now if if mean if mean Moise Keane's on the pitch, where 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 should he be deployed? I, know, I think I'd I think I'd maybe rather see him out wide. I think he has a a decent few substitute appearances. You know, obviously, but before that Watford game where he was coming on out wide, I think he mm. did. Fairly well against Man City when he came on out wide. So well, what was the Villa? game where the yeah. best bit of his Everson career, where he got a free kick given against him for a wonderful turn from out wide? Ah, I see, Breno, he... I've actually watched the replay that a number of a number of times. Have you spotted what? a foul finally? He actually is pulling the shirt of is it? I think it's Jack O'Connell, isn't it? Oh, the right, okay. Like, no, but I was as apoplectic as you at the time. <laughs> but I watched it back, and he is actually fouling the. So it was an incredibly good spot in the end. Yeah, yeah. Amazingly so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah, as I say, he's had he's had a couple of good little spells from out wide when coming on as a substitute and I think it just suits his game a little bit better I think when he's in possession of the football I think he's quite clearly got a lot of quality like we saw it in the first moment of that Watford game you know he was nutmegging his defender and playing in Seamus Coleman like he's obviously got that quality on the ball when he's you know got that confidence behind him so I find it hard to judge him on that Watford game because you know he's quite clearly a player who's playing with you know, a little bit low confidence at the minute, which you could understand. He's a young player who was starting games a couple of weeks ago, maybe. And uh, now he's finding himself quite regularly on the bench. You could understand why that might affect his confidence a little bit. So I don't want to really judge him on that Watford game. But when he's in possession and he gets a defender one-on-one, mm. I think that's when he looks like his most dangerous, when he can just take a player on, beat them, maybe get a cross into the box, maybe have a shot at goal himself. I think it was when... Uh, he started against Sheffield United and he had essentially three centre-backs playing against him. Didn't have as much space. That's when we started to see him, you know, become starved of service a little bit. You know, he hasn't got that... He maybe hasn't got that experience yet to be making those, like, clever little runs in behind, like we were seeing Theo Walcott do, maybe, uh, when he came on on on, uh, on Tuesday. So I think I'd much, much rather see him try that wide a little bit first, get his confidence up and, you know, just taking players on one-on-one. But I think... Yeah, as the two lads have said, I'd, I'd rather see him coming off the bench a little bit more than uh, than starting games as of now. Anyway, well, sorry to jump in. What did we all make of Yerry Mina on on Tuesday? Oh, I thought he was brilliant for forty. I, I just, I just wanna, he, was, he was our minutes. best player. I just until wanna, he got taken off. Yeah, yeah I just want to throw, throw in something here because for me, you know, I actually used the word phenomenal, and uh, the people around Roberto? me like you know, so we're, we're, <laughs> we're looking off. Maybe that's what they were getting a bit concerned about. But no, I just thought he was absolutely top class for forty minutes. Looked like a proper leader, a proper centre half. But then started like pointing towards his knee and looking at the bench. So you could tell he wanted to come off, but then didn't come off. He actually went up to take the court. You know, to go the end of it. Yeah. And I'm thinking, hang on, yeah, how badly hurt le- are you here? after the ball. Exactly. And I'm thinking, is there some kind of, you know, so attitude issue here where he's got to be one of these players, got to be absolutely 100% before he'll play. In other words, not somebody that's prepared to go totally through the pain barrier, which just made me raise an eyebrow a little bit. Uh, you know, great performance. Loved him as a, as a player, but I just thought... 
Come on, be a bit braver. I, th- I thought it showed the exact opposite to me. Yeah. This was this was somebody who was obviously hurt and was mm. still legging it after the ball when he, sort of when he quite clearly needed it, but, to come off the pitch. Well, maybe, maybe, it, it maybe, inter- maybe recklessly, but yeah. it was it's interesting because I kind of came to this, a little bit of the same conclusion as Preno on Tuesday night when Marco used the phrase "strange." Yeah, and that for me was almost him sort of saying. Well, it's not but that bad. Was he really that bad? Yeah, and that's what is he it, said all it, week, isn't is it? Is yeah. it in his head a yeah. little bit? So I don't know. I mean, maybe, as you say, Preno, maybe you've picked up on something there. Maybe it's a case of, actually, Yeri, you're going to get knocks, you're going to get twinges, you're going to yeah. get all X, Y, and Z. You're going to actually play through it. Um, I'm not going to embarrass him, but there's a, a club legend who has sat behind me who said pretty much that. He wants him to be braver, wants to see a bit more, you know, so dogged resilience from him. I but, mean, I, know, I don't think... I don't think there's anybody questioning his bravery, obviously, when he feels fully fit. Oh, no. Uh, I mean, that double block was incredible. He threw himself into it. It was tremendous. Do you think he's maybe been... Do you think maybe he's been scarred by the foot injury of last season and how he kept getting setbacks and maybe last season he was playing? Yeah, maybe he's been overcautious, yeah. As a result, he wants to make sure he's absolutely 100%. I don't know. Maybe I'm... Maybe you're overthinking it, to be honest, because uh, he just he did look great. You know, he looks like a proper. But you're right, though, because there. the fact that the the message afterwards was that he was in pain at that moment, but then at the end of the game when Marco spoke to him, he was less in pain. It's, <laughs> it, was, it did seem a little bit kind of. And the fact that you know he's he still got every chance of playing on Sunday yeah, as well yeah. suggests that it was only a twinge. So we'll see. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Okay, Spurs on Sunday, as we mentioned, they've not won away from home in the league since March. Um, and they come to Goodison in the 4.30 kickoff. Um, Sam, how do you think this one's going to play out? Oh. <laughs> God, that wasn't the most confident start, was it? It's, it's tough, isn't it? I think they my, feel- okay, my feeling is that Spurs squad is still exceptional an excellent squad of players they've made a poor start by their standards but I think their crisis in inverted commas has been massively overblown yeah and obviously that's what that's what happens when you become a team constantly challenging for the for the title and and get into a Champions League final you know if you if you get beat by a Steve Bruce Newcastle at home and, 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 and you know people will always make Kind of big stories, he's out of it. But at the same time, you know there is there, there is real cause for concern for them as well. Things I, I read before the they're sixteenth in the form table in the Premier League and, and we're seventeenth, so <laughs> it's a real basement clash. Yeah. At Goodison Six on and, and both, and, well, both teams are, are ultimately playing for pride, aren't they? You know, Tottenham now are in the same boat as us, where they've got you know a, a committed kind of travelling crowd who who aren't being. Who are, who are paying money to to watch them pretty much lose every away game and, and Everton, but you know ultimately at home as well. Everton have got a show now. You know why there's been you know all the players still quite clearly backing Marco Silva and quite clearly playing for him, but they they need to start translating that into results. And it, it is just a kind of it's almost a juxtaposition, isn't it? That you know the the away form is poor. Tottenham, the start of the season hasn't been the way they'd have probably expected it. But as you said, they're, they're a quality team who. It wouldn't wouldn't surprise anyone if they still finish in the in the top three or four because you know they have got that real quality. Not many play, not many teams can have a a Harry Kane or a you know the defenders they can boast. They've got a World Cup winner in goal and obviously he's injured, but you know they've, they've spent big on a on a midfielder in in Dombele and 
a lot of other experienced Premier League players. So, but I think it, it's a great test as well because the confidence you could take from beating them will be massive. Mm. You know, and 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 the team should be up for it. It's going to be a boss atmosphere on a on a Sunday afternoon kickoff as well. So. At the end of the day, for Everton, Everton and, and whoever Marco picks to start, if you if you can't get yourself up for this one and you can't put a hundred percent into it and, and show your best colours, then there's going to be a, a, a real woody, and, and there will be a real woody if we if we don't win the game because it's getting closer and closer to that kind of December running almost that that could massively shape the season. So it's obviously quite funny, isn't it, that we're playing Spurs who haven't won away since March, and then we play Southampton, and we're going to be their first home game since. It's getting beat nine 0 So, two two really really big games coming up and start Sunday. <clears throat> and I think for Everton, it's you know if you ask them about how, how it's playing out, that they've got to play it out in in the way they want to, and and, and that only comes with a fast start, unsettle them. You know you want them questioning themselves. You want them thinking, hang on, these these are playing here, and, and we haven't won away since March, and and get on the backs and and, and let the crowd kind of spare you on as well. And I think if we do that, we we could beat them and. You know, we were saying before, weren't we? We haven't beat Spurs at Goodison since 2012. That's, mm. you know, we used to we used to pretty much beat Tottenham every every time at Goodison. So that record definitely needs to to come to an end on Sunday to to just desperately try and and get some momentum from from somewhere. And perhaps crucially, uh, on Sunday score first. Although Adam, memory serves in the piece you've written um, this morning about lessons learned from last season six two, we went ahead in that game, didn't mm-hmm. we? Yeah, the old Walcott uh, put us. 1-0 up. Pretty sure Dominic Calvert-Lewin yep. had a goal ruled out that would have put us 2-0 mm. up as well. Mm. Uh, for Not quite uh, sure yeah, the in, in, Inexplicable yeah. reasons, if I remember rightly. And then uh, Spurs just got the front, got on the front foot and started dominating that game. But I think, started scoring for fun, really. Well, yeah. this, is a, this is a very different sort of Spurs that we're going to be facing this season. You know, teams that are low on confidence are like completely different to team. Like Spurs, I think they went... Two or three points behind Man City uh, in the table with that with that victory over us last season. It, it's a completely different world for them coming to Goodison this season. But you know the problem that I have and that maybe a lot of Everton fans would be having is that Everton always seem to be the side that just gifts teams or players their their way back into form. Like if there's a player who's not scored in a while or there's a team who are looking for their win, like. So often they come to Everton and Everton managed to give them it, and Everton just can't allow that to happen this yeah. time round. Like this is this is a massive chance to you know get a first win over Spurs since 2012 to continue the home form. You know, win this game and it's three wins out of four games since the last international break. Yeah. Suddenly you're looking at that thinking, all right, that's a that's actually a decent run of form. Mm. Don't don't think we played well, particularly in two of those games, but. You know, suddenly Silver could be looking at that and thinking, right, this is the confidence builder that I need. Go to Southampton, who you know last time out got beat nine nil on their own on their own. Just looking to keep it to eight when we go. Oh yeah, exactly. I'd I'd take I'd take three of those to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Just 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 three, just three nil will be fine. (laughs) (laughs) You know, break break that sort of duck on the south coast, and then suddenly you know you you've got that momentum going behind you going into that you know really tricky game uh, run of fixtures in December so you know Spurs Spurs you know they got beat last time out against Liverpool uh, I think that if they'd have taken some of their chances uh, they wouldn't have got beat there yeah. uh, they were still looking pretty dangerous especially on the counter attack I think they'll maybe expect a little bit more possession against us than they would have had against Liverpool but I think a counter attacking game is still going to be the kind of thing that they're going to play against us 
and we've just got to be ready for it. Like we've, as Sam said, we've got to we've got to have that high press again. We've got to be in their faces. You just can't let them settle on the ball whatsoever. You've got to make them feel uncomfortable because you know if we're at, at least even having chances in the first 10, 15 minutes, you know we're rattling them a little bit. Then they're gonna they they are gonna start doubting themselves because you know Everton have been in exactly that position themselves over the last few months away from home. So we've just got to try and harness that for our, for ourselves almost this weekend. Harness our away frustrations and force Tottenham into you know making those kind of silly mistakes that will hopefully ultimately gift us the three points. I think this is where the the, the talking as well kind of needs to stop from the the perspective of. You know, it's, it's been happening since the start of the season, hasn't it? Where it's been like, oh, if we beat Aston Villa tonight, we go top. <laughs> if we beat Bournemouth today, we go third. Oh, oh, hang on. We need a result against Burnley. We need a result against Brighton here. Uh, and people keep talking about crucial games and crucial weeks and it just hasn't quite happened. Like the, like the outcome is definitive, you mean? Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and people, you know, keep saying, oh, you know, next these next, like what we're saying here, next two games are big. But we keep saying it and keep saying it, but we're not getting the results. And, and it just kind of feels like what we had last season you know, later on in the season where we just kind of quietly but confidently just got on that little run and, and pushed on. And, and at one point, you know, Europe, the team so far away, even came back into the picture for a little bit. But this is the game now where, where you have to kind of start showing, you know, what, what what is kind of the outcome. And I don't even think, I think even the kind of people were willing last season to give a little bit more because it was transitional. But I even think now people are starting to say, well, hang on. Brendan Rodgers has, has been at Leicester for a short time and, and they seem to have a bit of an identity and seem to be playing in, in the manager's mould and, and, and why are we not kind of doing that yet? And I think everyone kind of sympathises with unfortunate injuries and whatever that disgrace of a VAR decision was <laughs> last weekend, but eventually we, we all need to stand up and, and be and be counted and, and that's what the manager and the players have to do. And I think it really, really does start this weekend or you are into really... Uh, Squeaky bum territory, as Sir Alex Ferguson used to say. Um, Preno, we, we could talk about um, Marco's selection for all areas of the pitch, but I think I think it's probably perhaps more pertinent to talk about one area in particular. Based on the fact or the hope, Yerry Mina will be fit, having trained um, with the team on Friday. Holgate fit, Michael Keane fit. Who starts at the back for you? Well, that's a really tough question now uh, because Holgate has come in and I have to say surprised me. Um, the couple of like cameo appearances we saw from him at the start of the season, he concerned me. He looked mm. like, you know, he was uh, struggling a bit, but, you know, clearly he hadn't played enough football. You know, a couple of full appearances he's made since then. He's warranted to keep his place. So for me, Michael Keane needs to be the man that makes way. He's of the three, the one who is not playing to his full potential at the moment. Yerry Mina is. And Holgate's done absolutely nothing wrong, you know, to warrant being taken out. And he adds that little bit, something a bit different, that bit of extra composure. Sometimes it's a little bit too cool on the ball for my liking. But, um, you know, he does, you know, that, that you know, the, the assist for Dominic Calvert-Lewin's ball was great, you know, and he was, um, his, his ball retention in that game, was it 94% or something, pass accuracy in that game, which was like, you know, exceptional. Um, so, yeah, he's done absolutely nothing wrong, you know, and doesn't deserve to lose his place. So, unfortunately, I think Michael Keane would be the person that needs to be sitting kicking his heels on the sidelines just to uh, try and have a bit of a spell out of the spotlight to recover his form. Any uh, any difference of opinion there, lads? I, 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 I don't know. I, I'd, I'd put Michael Keane in just because I'm 
petrified of Harry Kane. Yeah. Uh, if, Who if loves Harry scoring plays, a good assist? generally petrified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Or because he no, looks just like, in general. Because he looks like me. Yeah, no. Did he because he, cause more because he looks like you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I just think if Harry Kane sees Mason Holgate in that lineup, I think he will just target try and target him. him. Mm. And I'm not sure. For all of Holgate's best attributes, I'm not sure he's physically ready for a battle with Harry Kane. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm on the same on the same page as as Adam there. I think, as Preno said, I think still a little bit scarred from from Holgate's performance against West Ham last season. I know that's really unfair. And to be honest, I was really impressed with Mason, especially at Brighton. Didn't didn't get a chance to see an awful lot of the Watford game, but from from what you all said, you know, was was good again. And uh, we actually interviewed him after the Brighton game, and you can see that he's, he's really kind of filled out a little bit more as well. And he, he looks like someone who, who's more of a Premier League centre back now. I think when we first got him, he, he had a quite kind of you know slight build. Um, but you know the, the, these aren't kind of players to be kind of experimenting around. You know, Harry Kane, Son Hung Min. You know whether Christian Eriksen plays or not, and obviously his form dipped a little bit, but still a, a star Premier League player from the last couple of years and. I think maybe Keane's Keane's form has come under question, and it's a difficult one because he was kind of so solid last season, and I, I think sometimes he kind of falls victim of he has got a very gangly kind of look about him, and you know whatever you say, it obviously wasn't a penalty against Brighton, but again, it it can be a little bit clumsy with him at times, but you know he he was good when he came on against Watford, wasn't he? And I think him and Yeddy still started the season fa- fairly brightly, and I think it might also be almost be a a kind of good time to. To put him and Yeti back together and, and challenge them, you know, to to say, look, there's, there's a young lad here who's doing everything right in training. He's doing everything right when he's when he's playing. Go and keep your shirts, and then if they don't, then you go to Southampton and and one of them misses out, doesn't he? And and obviously at the moment it's probably more likely to be Keen. But as Adam says, you know, the, the amount of ga- goals Keen scored, I think you you need two two big lads against them, and hopefully Keen and Mina could could do the job. Wouldn't play all three. That's <laughs> what. <laughs> No, it's experimenting though, isn't it? You know, against the team with the firepower of Spurs. Um, mm. the, the, the fixture worries me because, you know, they are one of those teams that have got like this bit of a bogey over Everton over the last few years. I mean, 2012 is a hell of a long time not to have uh, recorded a victory over them against. Yeah. Um, they've got like such quality. They've got a number of players missing, which is good. And I just think the start is crucial. Mm. Everton have got to make a good start and, you know, plant seeds, as Adam said, plant seeds of doubt in their psyche. Uh, from the word go, get the crowd on our side and get the crowd absolutely yeah. roaring and then take it from there. But yeah, there's no doubt whatsoever it's going to be a tough fixture. I watched you know, the Liverpool game and the first 20 minutes, Spurs did a number on them mm-hmm. and you know, sort of suffocated them. Ultimately, Liverpool deserved it when it looked narrow, you know, sort of scoreline-wise, but they created chances galore. Uh, you know, if we hopefully can create the same number of chances, you know, we'll be able to get victory. Okay, um, final part of today's podcast, uh, a little preview of the mini derby, which takes place on Saturday, two o'clock at the uh, Liverpool Academy in Kirby. Um, Adam, who, for everybody listening, who maybe isn't overly familiar with the current under-23 setup, um, who's the one player they should look out for if they're going to the game? Oh, Andy Gordon. Okay. <laughs> I think I think he's just, he's looks, for me, head and shoulders above... Uh, any, anybody else at that age level really I think he's just such an exciting young forward he's got bags of pace bags of confidence as well bags of skill can seemingly pick a goal out of anywhere uh, it wasn't so long ago that he was playing for the under 18s it was probably only about a year ago yep. maybe that yeah. he made a, a, a bit of a regular step up to the under 23s and he ended up being a 
crucial player towards the end of last season for the under-23s. Been playing up front, uh, sometimes runs worth this season, sometimes out wide. And I think in either position, he's going to cause Liverpool loads and loads of problems. So I'd be, I'd be looking out for him, definitely. Sam, anybody different? I know it's, you know, Anthony is obviously the star player in that in that team at the moment, but anybody else that you uh, you will be interested in seeing or urge people to keep an eye on? Uh, I think if if you're going to go down and watch, which hopefully we're just playing on a Sunday, you know, as many people do, it's it's an interesting team when you look from front to back, really, because I think if you go on what they've played this season, you're going to have a, a young 17-year-old lad called Harry Tyler in goal, who's been pretty decent this season. You know, it's, it's a really young age to be playing you know, what what is still reserve team football. You've got Lewis Gibson and, and Morgan Feeney in, in defence, you know, two kind of different centre-halves. Morgan's more old-fashioned. Lewis is... You know, people who kept up to date with the with the preseason have seen. You know, he's a ball player and he's he's not scared like like Mason isn't to to get on the ball. In midfield, you've got you know Dennis Adenaran who, who's been training with the first team and is a big kind of physical unit and and you know looks to kind of is probably another one who will be looking to go out on loan at, at some point. Could could even be in January, depending on what the first team plans are with him training there. You know, you wrote that article this week on on Tyler and Yango. I don't know if he'll if he'll feature in in this game, but if he did. Another kind of big step for him, and then as Adam says, you've got you've got Anthony Gordon up front, and then there's there's all kinds of other characters. You know, Harry Charsley who got handed a new deal while he makes his comeback from that really kind of cruel back injury. He could play Anthony Evans is is good every time he plays. So if anyone's listening and not doing anything on Saturday afternoon, I think the message has got to be get down there and and support the lads because there's loads of there's loads of good lads down there. They're all really nice and. Uh, kind of like respectful lads as well when you when you see them kind of off the pitch as well. So hopefully we can. It's always good to put one over Liverpool, isn't it? It's all uh, without mentioning Ellis Sims as well. well yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the under 18 goal machine from last season seems to have made the step up to the under three, 23s fairly well. Yeah. I, I had to make a few a uh, few inquiries about uh, the the character of some of the under twenty three team because uh, it was revealed to me and uh, having a quite Friday pints a couple of weeks ago that uh, one of the uh, the Everson lads that I just mentioned, Harry Tyra, is uh, is dating me mate's daughter. Really? Yeah. That is a royal blue exclusive. He asked if I could make inquiries about uh, the lad's character. Yeah. So I made discreet inquiries of Mr. Unsworth, who spoke glowingly about him, apart from the obvious rejoinder, he's a goalkeeper, so he's mad. Aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's right what you say about, you know, a very good, respectful, you know, sort of group of lads. So, what a yeah, reference you, that is, by yeah. the way. To go to your girlfriend's dad, hey, David Unsworth thinks I'm great. <laughs> um, so other than Harry Prano, um, who is I appreciate you you, you don't maybe get to watch under the 20 he's a great deal but from what you hear what you read what you see you speak to onesie who, yeah. who, who's the names that maybe keep cropping up when, in those discussions or well, who no, are you excited to hear about well, Anthony Gordon's the obvious one uh, because of you know what you've seen I mean uh, the video clips of the goals he's scored he's clearly a talent but for me I've always I've always loved a goal anger. I've always loved somebody that you know, knows where the onion bag is. So Ellis Sims, you know, he's uh, just, despite lots of other parts of his game needing, you know, a bit of attention and needing to improve in certain areas, he's got that indefin- undefinable knack of being able to score goals. And um, you can't coach that into people, really. That ability to find space in a penalty area and then finish off that space when you've found it is something that people I genuinely think are born with. You know, so the best players just have it. And you can work on certain parts of that game, but, you know, you can't really coach it. And he seems to have that. Whether you can then transfer that to a high level of football, you know, only time will tell. 
Uh, but at the moment, to score the quantity of goals that he's been scoring at such a young age, you know, augurs quite well for the future. So, you know, he'd be the one that does, you know, probably, you know, excite me the most. I think another thing to be said about Sims is he, he does generally seem to kind of take stuff on board. He missed the first couple of games, or first month or so of the season, uh, and, and not through injury. And, you know, Undworth kind of just admitted, you know, he needed to get up to speed. And there was, there was things he had to work on. I think he used the term, he's now playing real football and not kids football. And for anyone who kind of watches the highlights of the under-18s, uh, sometimes, you know, you did see that last season. You know, the, the lad was probably a foot bigger than most of the lads <laughs> who, who were trying to mark him. It looked quite farcical sometimes. But then as Adam says, you know, he's came in and now he's been working closely with, with, with you know, John Eberlin and Franny Jeffers as well in training. So it looks like he's really taken on board because he's, he's starting to score goals. And it's exciting, really, because that's been quite a close-knit group from when they won the first Premier League two title four or five years back, you know, and... and a lot of those lads now, you know, your John Joe Kenny's, Keaton Dahls, and lads like that, all obviously gone out on loan. So it looks like now we're starting to get that that next phase of lads. They do say, don't they, that one of the biggest jumps, or the biggest jump in youth football is from under-18s to under-23s. And I think Ellis mm. has probably found that. But as you say, rightly, uh, he seems to be finding his feet. And, and, and as you allude to, he's it's clear that they've been coaching him on being a centre-forward, not in the, as Preno says, you know, the natural side of finishing He's got, mm. it's the being a front man, where to position yourself, mm. what to do, how to f- turn defence, all that sort of stuff, you know, real footy, isn't it, in that I respect? Think that, I think that's what impressed me most, you know, in the, the previous game in this competition uh, against Burton away. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, like, he, he started up front in that game, you know, the the most comfortable he looked in that game was when he was through one-on-one and he obviously bagged, bagged an all-important goal in that first half. And but like throughout that game, you know, Unsworth, you know, is constantly shouting at everybody throughout throughout the game. But he he seemed to have Turn a bit. Shout us next time. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. But uh, he he seemed to have a, a special sort of dispensation for Sims. You know, he kept bringing him over to the touchline. Yeah. Like he had, he had scribbled down on a ripped up piece of paper once, like just a quick little diagram of where he wanted them to to go. And you know, this was Sims playing against you know. Grown fellas again, like Bert, footballers, yeah. yeah, against Bert and Albion. So you know, he played really, really well in that game. And you know, fingers crossed if he's given the nod again uh, tomorrow, you'll be able to do the same against Liverpool's youngsters. I think, as as Adam says there as well, I think one of the things that can can kind of irk me sometimes. Now it's all social media now, but a, a lot kind of gets aimed at Unsworth and the club in terms of the under twenty three's development. And and although I do admit that there's definitely been a, a change in direction especially since Marcel came in and, and I don't particularly think we should have 22, 23, 24, 25 year olds who are going into the third, fourth and fifth loan. I think, as Adam rightly points out there, anyone who goes to these games, the the work that is constantly going in from the touchline, I think, you know, you've seen it at Burton there, I think we've seen it with Anthony Gordon the other week, don't we? The, the, the constantly being coached to, to grow as individuals and, and players as well and I think that's what a lot of people don't kind of look into, that they're the getting the, the very best coaching that is out there at the moment and, and hopefully we can kind of see, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of direction Everton take over the next couple of years with young lads because there seems to be more of a acceptance this summer with lads who, who were highly rated kind of in, in, in youth circles like Anthony Robinson and Joe Williams to, to let them move on, which kind of hasn't happened in, in other years when lads have been given longer term deals when they've been in kind of the, the early 20s. So, yeah, it's gonna it's, it's gonna be a really interesting game, and and it's it's a really interesting time for the for the under twenty threes, and and it's always good if 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 you have you know if you've got an Everton season ticket, it's always free to get into at Southport, and 
not that far from from anywhere then locally really so yeah encourage people to to get down okay good stuff um all right we'll wrap up with the customary predictions time Everton versus Spurs on Sunday Prenna what do you think the score will be Oh, I'd love to confidently predict a home win, but I can't. Uh, I'm going to go for a draw. I think, um, which will probably keep you know both you know dugouts moderately satisfied. Two-two, uh, two-two draw. Ad, uh, I think we'll win. Okay, good. Two-one. Uh, I can't. I can't see a clean sheet. Okay. Or I do think we'll win. Sam, go on five-nil. <laughs> I'm going to tell you now I would love it if we beat them 3-2 <laughs> 3 2 the Blues right up okay. the Blues come on okay uh, I think I am with Preno I think it'll be a draw I think it'll be 1-1 one, one. and I think as as Preno you're allowed to have a different prediction from Preno you know Phil he did. He said one one. I said two two. Oh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> so you completely switched off. You're allowed mate. to listen. You know, Sam. I don't, I don't <laughs> listen when anyone else speaks. You switched off and lost your man there. <laughs> yeah, one one. And as Preno said, I think I think both dugouts would be uh, fairly satisfied with that, wouldn't he? Given the current runs of form, etc. Um, Okay, that's the uh, that's the podcast for today, chaps. Thanks for your company. Excellent as always. Thank you for listening. Uh, this has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.